Hello. 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 I like this. What do I think? Hello. Hello, hello. How are you, Sarah? Uh, dude, I'm a little, I'm a little like frantic or like scatterbrained right now. I think when I sit down, I'm gonna need to take like three deep breaths to like center myself real quick. Is this because of because this from uh, babysitting the kids all day or what's up? Yeah, and just kind of like popping from like thing to thing to thing like I had to go to the store once I got off and then somebody messaged me that I have more fucking fake accounts like trying to duplicate me and I was just like it was like my brain has just been like all day <laughs> I had a doctor's appointment because I'm having like a kind of serious doctor medical thing. issue that I had to work through like there's just a lot going on so yeah oh my just, goodness at least, at least you're kind of cool or popular. People are trying to mimic you. Yeah. I don't. I have no fake accounts, so I'm a little disappointed. You have no fake accounts? Mm, no, no fake. I know. I'm a loser. Bro, I've literally had like it's just in the last couple months. I've had a. I've had at least like ten combined pop up between Instagram and TikTok, and it's so 
freaking weird and it's it's actually the most frustrating part is getting on fucking instagram and having i shit you not like 50 messages of people uh. being like hey an account is copying you an account is copying you don't know if you know but an account is copying you and i'm like i so appreciate you reaching out but you are one of 50 people who have and now leave I have, me alone yeah, I'm like blown up message. It's it's just so much overall. So I'm just yeah. And I woke up super early. Was with people last night. Like I just haven't really had like a down moment, which are like when I can really recenter myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's where I'm at. But well, I'm here. Down. At least you're here. <laughs> Take this as a down. Like like I said, I just want to have a conversation. Today is just it's a conversation. Sure, it's recorded, but like. This isn't, there's no episode, there's no intention. Let's just talk about Doomsday. Let's, you know, I, although to be honest, uh, the whole climate thing's put me off for a little bit because, you know, I'm fucked. There's like a, there's a lot of media reporting about it that just makes it seem like, like it's going to destroy the whole planet. And then, then you kind of take a step back and you're like, whoa, 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 this planet had a fucking asteroid the size of like Texas hit it and life continued. We might die. Eh, you know, separate yourself from it. The planet's going to be all right. Yeah, that's what I, uh, a, a little bit, of, like probably a couple months ago, I realized that like we are, everybody's fighting for the planet. Everybody's trying to save the planet. <laughs> Nobody's trying, you're trying to save humanity and like the human race. Like you're not trying to save the planet because the planet's going to go on no matter what, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I commented that on a video about climate change and people got like kind of upset. They're like, what, like, this is like, like what about all species, you know? Nah, like, nah, about- they're just projecting. I was like, bro, like, I mean, you got to zone in on the fact. Yeah. Like we're trying, like people are hell bent on this because they want to see their grandchildren have lives and like yeah. you know like this is, there's nothing wrong with wanting to save the human race i don't know people are weird bro no just, no no it's because humans are cancer and we should all die it's weird how that that narrative like is so socially accepted like it's being almost pushed that we yes we should hate ourselves yes 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 hate humans save the planet for the animals it's like no let's just be honest we still are humans and we want to, we want to make sure that we continue. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. It's the too whole, bad. Like, humans are cancer. Like humans are a virus. Like I have a, a close friend that kind of, I wouldn't say he's like deep in that, but he definitely like, uh, <laughs> dabbles. You know, yeah. Like definitely lingers into that, a uh, whole like humans, humans are the problem and i mean humans are like the problem well, the, we're the problem to us because we're concerned with ourselves we're the most self-centered creatures so no wonder yeah whenever we think about anything we're like we're the problem we're everything we're the problem we're the solution we're the we're, we're the challenge we're everything we're everything to ourselves we're the most self-centered thing on this fucking planet that's a really good point i really like that you just said yeah we're the problem <laughs> but we're also the solution uh, like, because we're our own problem, you know, and I, I think because I just yeah, try yeah. to bring it back to myself and I'll be like, on an, on an individual level, 
don't have like enemies. Like, you know, whoever's talking shit about me, that doesn't affect me. You know what affects me? My decisions. And I make poor ones that hurt me, you know? And I also make great ones that help me. So I am clearly, when it's when I bring it to the larger scale, I go, that's probably what it is. Interesting. Yeah, we're making bad decisions. We're also doing good stuff. But then I really, I read this uh, article, you know, cause after getting into this big deep dive of like, oh my God, the climate's gonna destroy us. I got a different perspective. It was on Forbes and it was from one of the journalists and he's like a big, and pro-environmentalist but he really took the research and was like yeah there's no scientifically or empirically cited paper that suggests what the media or people who belong to like extreme rebellion or environment rebel whatever that uh, causes say those people will make claims like in 12 years half the planet's gonna die of global warming or some shit it's like no science doesn't say that and if there's one thing about science that we've known that's like one of the deter- like key characteristics of science is that eh, it changes the science changes in the 90s they said by the 2000s all the ice caps would melt actually sorry in the 70s they were afraid of another ice age did you know that no because the media doesn't talk about that anymore but this was like a highly reported thing like they were super scared that the glaciers were going to freeze over. Why? Because they had super, they had like record cold temperatures. The point is, I think that when it comes to climate science, we don't know the climate that well. I go, undeniably, we're having impacts on, on this, on the climate. But are we going to, are we right now going to be the causal effect for like some kind of landscape event or change that we can never that will never change or modify itself. I don't know. I'm not so certain about that. Joe Rogan had this, he took this opportunity and he had two climate scientists on like back to back. He had one who obviously like, you know, more mainstream, like what I traditionally have heard, AKA we're destroying the climate and, you know, end of the world's on the way. Okay. And it was like a, okay. You know, he provided his resources. And then there was another guy who was like, oh yeah, we're definitely changing the climate. There's no doubt about it. But the kind of narrative that we're playing into that like, oh, it's going to be the end of times. Not really. We've come to a point where we have so, like, for instance, we talk about the sea level rising. And we'll be like, oh, like a feet. If it rises this many feet, it'll destroy all of these coasts. Did you know that the Netherlands had dealt with that problem 700 years ago? 700 years ago, because they were at sea level and now they're below sea level. What did they do? Well, they built... They built a bunch of like, uh, they like dug into the ground and built like funnels and found a way and also dikes and stuff. And they dealt with this problem like 700 years ago. So I go, look, I have no doubt that climate is changing and that humans are making an impact. I just, I just, I have a lot of faith in the creative innovation of humans to adapt to different environments. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the burden, like it tends to be, which is always a shame, the burden of a lot of this stuff isn't going to fall on Western rich countries. I think it's going to fall on the poor ones who, who don't have the money and the economic ability to adapt. You know, it's not going to be like you, you think you think the money in America, they're not going to be able to build, you know, like uh, walls along the coast in New York. It's like, but that's one of the richest places on earth. They're going to do it. If it was, oh, no, matter of life or death, they'll do it. You know, of course. That's still, it's not to neglect like the, the effect of it. It's just to say, I don't, I, I personally, I don't buy the alarmist notion that it's going to be the end of the world. 
through the climate. I go, no, we're probably going to end up having kind of what's happening in British Columbia, where I'm from, where we now have more severe weather patterns. You know, we like every summer we deal with wildfires and it's awful. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's quite, it's quite upsetting. You know, every single summer there's smog and all this, but I also believe, I bet you we're going to figure out how to deal with that. And also I'd like to imagine that with enough time and pressure, politicians are going to have to act and enact policies that will force corporations to lean on green or nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that's my thoughts. I'm just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I used to be such a cynic when I was growing up and I'm so tired of that mentality. I'm really, I, I'm over it. When I was 18, like you said, your friend bought into that humans are cancer. I was the biggest preacher of that. I was like, fuck us. We're the worst. I'm, you know, like, what's the point of living? Man, man, man. And I, I really hated myself. I not only hated myself, I hated all of us. I hated every human on this planet. I felt like we were just the worst things ever. And that, but that self-loathing, that doesn't create action. That doesn't motivate change. That doesn't motivate, motivate creativity or innovation. So if we are, if we do want to live, if we do want to continue, then that's not the mindset I think we should be in. I think we should be, we should have a little bit of hustle in terms of recognizing like, you know, this is a real problem. But if we, but I don't want to become a defeatist or an alarmist because that inherently will play into the worst aspects of our psychology and it'll make us uh, self-loathing, uh, lose motivation. And almost that would make me, if, when I bought into that, that's probably when I was the least environmentally mindful because I was like, well, yes. the world's gonna, if you keep telling me the world's dying and that there's nothing I can do, why the fuck am I going to recycle? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, or uh-huh. you know, do my part, so to speak. And so I'm, I'm not trying to buy into that narrative too much, or at least I don't want to. I want to provide it with a bit of hope, like, hey, it's bad, but we could change it. I don't, I don't want to uh-huh. be a part of a conversation that leads to people becoming defeatists. Mm, I agree, and I feel like, I mean, like the defeatist narrative is kind of very mainstream. I on and it's like I feel like it's just penetrating the different like spheres and like you said like hope is really important I feel like people definitely are losing hope but I will say an interesting article that said essentially hope is important for you to not like fall down the hole of like despair hopelessness you know just you just yes. completely age but hope is actually not the most helpful in inspiring action and like individuals doing their part anger is like no, sure. anger yeah, the thing like anger and fear actually drive that's the main driver for people to like fight for change within these kinds of realms but it's kind of like a fine line between that like anger and fear and like debilitating anxiety because that same article said if you have really bad anxiety or like ego anxiety you know about all of these things societal it's like the whole you know whole nine yards like it just paralyzes you and you get put mm-hmm. into the spot like you were saying of just like not why why and try why even exist why do my part if all just going to go to shit and that is the most dangerous part of this mentality I think that we need like a healthy dose of some hope and a healthy dose of some like anger and fear to like keep us you know with 
like a perspective that things can be solved, but the anger to drive up can mm. our own individual level to help that. Or if you're someone who's more driven to, you know, end up in some sort of job position or volunteer position to help with these specific things. Like people just, the, the biggest issue is the complacency and like, I'm totally like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I, I do that too, right? So like, I'm guilty. Not, yes, I'm guilty of it, right? So like, it's not, like people have to be perfect or like me speaking on this means that I self have like, you know, owned this in and I know how to take action from a healthy place. Like I'm still all over the boards with it, but it's really important. Like the whole doomsday scrolling and what you willingly choose to expose yourself to is crazy important and I'm I'm definitely still working on it myself but yeah we haven't even we haven't even like touched on the specific like doomsday scrolling aspect of it which is well yeah okay let's talk about that I feel like this is that's also a good part of the conversation where it we I mean the biggest thing I think we once talked about this but to anyone listening we talked about the mismatch hypothesis and it seems very evident that look the mind the the way that our modern mind developed it didn't it didn't develop in the environment that we now currently inhabit mm-hmm. and as a result we have biases for instance to look for negative information which makes total sense because that's what helped us survive right if we could if we're primed to look for negative information you know back in the you know you know savannah or wherever it was that we were <laughs> developing the modern mind that's good. That's gonna make sure that you survive. If you were the if you were the great ape, the Homo sapien that was always looking for good stuff, you were gonna miss that fucking lion coming up and come and prance on you and kill you. So, but the thing is, now we live in a relatively safe environment. But now we're globally interconnected with seven billion people through technology that we just don't even fully comprehend or understand the long term effects of. And we're being and you know media companies are doing what they're being told, which is get profit. And the only way is the best way that they can manipulate the human psychology to get the most amount of attention and add revenue and profit is by feeding us bad news. So they not only handpick all the bad news and kind of ignore any good news because it doesn't really sell, we're not interested in it. I'll be honest, I like bad news more. I know that. I can recognize that. I have the awareness to recognize that in myself. It's more interesting. It's captivating. It's I want the doomsday. What do you call it? Trauma porn. Trauma porn, yes, that's a, ooh, that's a that's a edgy name, trauma porn. But yes, we love trauma <laughs> porn, but you know, it's just I don't think we're matched for it. And I think there's a creator on TikTok I love, uh, forget his name, but he always talked. He he made a video about this, but he goes, "Look, we weren't meant for that, right? There is that mismatch. So on some level, you do have to, as a consumer, because we are consumers in the consumer society, be mindful about what you're consuming." I think personally, I think we should try to be communitarians. So like, for instance, focus on the stuff that's actually happening within your community, because those are things that you can actually be more actionable for when it comes to something like, for instance, even the Ukraine war, like to kind of sidestep a little bit, I don't honestly feel like it's that beneficial for me to really ingest daily content on that because I have no impact. I literally cannot do a single thing. The only thing I might be able to do would be if I just did what a creator, which I love, Philip uh, QBU, who, but he has a huge platform, right? And he's doing it to gain awareness. He actually went to Ukraine and he's there working with, uh, with like charity organizations to like drop important packages. And it's incredible. But 
I just don't see that as my personal world. I think it's admirable that he's doing that. But I think for the average human being, the average Canadian, the average American, getting yourself stuck in trauma porn, instead of digesting information about what's happening in your community and hopefully things that you can create change like volunteer programs and shelters, even, you know, whatever it might be. It's, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be really selective because if you're just, if you're ingesting the bad news of a global world and you live in a hundred square mile or kilometer radius, what the fuck are you doing to yourself? You're, you're literally calling, you're giving yourself literally, you're putting the burden and the weight of the world on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. That's unfair to yourself. I really, I really think it is. And you know, there's a reason why hyper successful people are extremely focused on one fucking thing their own goal they literally most of the people who are like you know who made it to become whatever you know they're hyper successful they are some of the most negligent people to other stuff around the world which is you know that has its downsides but the point is it's because if you want to move your life forward and you have you know upward trajectory you're only going to be slowed down when your attention is spread so callously among, you know, different things, especially when you, it's giving you crippling anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to just like echo everything that you said. And, you know, it really does. I really, really agree with your point about like taking these concerns and feelings and channeling them into something you can do like Mm. on your local level that actually right like you can do it with your hands with your mind in person and see some sort of impact from that is what a lot of like it's not like an official term but kind of like ecotherapists or ecopsychologists really recommend to most of their clients is like okay out of, uh, you know, all the things that you're like intaking about this climate crisis that's like spiraling you, like what, you know, what can you take and actually focus on in your own community and at your own local level? And I I also found this interesting read where this girl said, she's the founder, you know, some sort of, I cannot remember. I read too many articles today. But um, (laughs) essentially, she has like a Venn diagram, and the Venn diagram is like one side is all the all the you know environmental like ecological shit that's giving you anxiety, and then on the other side is like your own personal passions and interests. And the overlap is like where you can tend to find that sweet spot of where meaningful action would come for you. So like fashion, right? Which mm. you are concerned about the environment, you can, you know, s- s- put your focus on fast fashion mm. and things like that. And like, you can do that with all these different realms of like passions and interests. And obviously that's not like a cure-all for everyone, but I just thought it was a really interesting perspective of like, a way to not just end up in that complete like despair hopelessness you know it's like okay we we can do something about this even if it's the smallest like personal individual you know and that's really important and something else that 
I had read about that I thought was very helpful for this whole like eco anxiety, like doomsday, like societal collapse, because you know, the environment is going to collapse is, you know, a lot of people like literally do not know how to cope with and handle those feelings, especially if you're, you know, in a wealthy country, that's for the most part, a pretty safe place to live in. You haven't had to grow up with, you know, like things that really threaten your safety and survival. And now you feel like you're dealing with that in this kind of like looming existential way. And you just like cannot cope and handle, you know, and that's completely like understandable, you know, given that circumstance. And the whole idea is like, you cannot like fighting those feelings that are coming up as right. Like you're having these feelings because there is a genuine threat to your mm -hmm. safety answer and to try dismiss, dismiss that, push it down. Like it pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Like it's, and it goes into this, you know, um, idea that we talk about, about a lot in the like spiritual and mental health world of like resisting your emotions mm. is going to make the experience a hundred times more painful because it doesn't change the reality that that experience is happening. And so it's not about trying to get those heavy, not comfortable feelings out of you. It's about learning how to channel those to something that's meaningful and like powerful for you, you know? And like people who have gone and seeing these kind of, you know, psychologists or therapists that um, not necessarily like specialized, but are very like climate aware and work on that with their clients. You know, it, it's not about trying to ignore or dispel these feelings within you. These feelings are there for a reason and you should act on them. It's just, yeah, learning how to really channel them in a way that's productive and, and and you're still gonna feel moments where you're like holy shit what the fuck is this world right because it's earth but like yeah, at the end of the day, yeah you're you're going to be better off taking you know these everything that it brings up accepting that it brings this up and then saying well this is this is it right so what do I do with this now and that's where a lot of people start to get into action that makes them feel like they're they're doing something right. They're creating meaning out of this. Like it, I, I don't know. I've seen some people stories. It's like oh, beautiful. Yeah. Like suffering through this, like ego anxiety, but kind of coming out of it and like making, making something or contributing to something, innovating with something like, and not saying that's everyone's path, but again, it's, it's definitely worth mentioning. So yeah. I mean, I, just, I love it. Oh. It's, no, that's great. The transmutation of powerful emotions into actions that serve to create meaning and meaningful change. It's, it's brilliant, um, which is funny because I got to be honest, when it comes to like in my perspective, like it's like, all right, I personally don't see, I don't see the current system in place one that is so concerned with the consumer culture and the reproduction of itself, uh, the system, it just serves to reproduce itself and serve the, like the corporate elite. I, I honestly think that the best way for myself and for everyone, I encourage other people to use that anger or that frustration and transmute it into like action is 
to start creating the new earth. And what I always mean by that is like where we lend our attention is inevitably what the world is. The world is a set of imagined ideas and agreed upon imagined ideas. You know, you like, like and you all know uh, whatever his book, like Sapiens. He really talks about it. The reason I bring it up is this might like help people because I think a lot of you people read that book. Talk about the fact that like things like money are conceptually agreed upon ideas for us to understand what is value and then they're backed usually by gold or they used to be now they're backed by a debt finance system but mostly it's just an agreed upon idea even borders are agreed upon ideas but that are backed by armed men you know and so these ideas do have uh consequences in the real world of course but all at the end of the day they're ideas to which we give our attention to Thus, when it comes to the climate, uh, the climate, or you know, how can we, how can we get out of this? I, I just a part of me thinks some part of me, you know, the crazy hippie in me goes, we gotta, we gotta leave, or like we gotta, we gotta build our own off-grid communities. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta become not reliant on the state because the system in the state seems intentionally. And it seems over intent on reproducing itself and it doesn't want to doesn't want you to stop being a consumer and mm-hmm. unfortunately the truth if in if we want to build true sustainability it it's about stopping being the the degree of consumer that we're at it would have us radically change our consumption to such a point that we would no longer be able to serve that that class that currently benefits so much from this current society and culture so I, I see that for myself, I go like the biggest thing that I can do is help myself and other people get their attention away from the, the system and the world that currently exists and start living in such a way that radically that is so radically different from the way they were living before that it takes away the power and attention from the, these people who are benefiting from, you know, the climate crisis, you know, these oil companies, whatever. But again. I say all this, it's nice words, but I struggle because here I am on a phone that's many of its pieces are mined in Africa and shipped overseas and, or made in China and shipped overseas. I, I don't know how to solve that problem. The one that the modern technology of which we now are is so subservient to, to communicate with one another is a part of that problem. The, I, I honestly don't know how to grapple with that. And I'm still at a loss for it. I, I hope that we can bring someone on eventually when we have our podcast that can hopefully educate me and maybe provide alternatives. But I, I have yet to find them. I, I really, as somebody who works in the digital landscape in the media space, it's hard because most of these pieces of technology are completely interwoven with the fabric of the very system that I'm so critical of because of its overconsumption on over-reliance rather on oil and you know the mining of kind of uh, precious metal or heavy metals in africa and whatnot especially in the fact that a lot of that involves child labor and slavery so it's a it's so it's it's so it's so easy to say words but these issues are so freaking complex that the nuance is layered in so much complexity it's very difficult to come to like some sort of like clear solution however i will say i do know people i do know them who have an old flip phone that they've had for you know five ten years they literally get all their stuff from bulk it's all glass 
you know, like they get like glass containers and there are people, but the thing is their entire lives and their entire energy is centered around that. They have, I know them. That is the whole personality. It's their whole being. It's their whole time. That's it. That's sad. That, that, that's what it takes, right? That, like, the, the, and, I, and I am certain that if we put enough pressure on certain people within the capitalist framework, that they might have to bend over to the consumer, us, because we do still have the consumer power, and they at least would have to provide sustainably uh, sourced materials. Uh, you know, no more, like, for instance, like, we can make plastics made from mushrooms. It's, it's been done. It's just very expensive. And the thing is, right, and these companies, there's not enough demand for it, and they're not willing to cut their profits to do that. But maybe if, if politicians weren't such spineless losers, and they could actually enact policy and go, you know what, you could, we're going to put the pressure back on the corporate elite who's already built, who are billionaires, and they have plenty of money, they have the power. We're going to force you guys to, to work with these scientists, and you're going to have to develop or redevelop your product or redesign your product such that they meet our new standards. I think they could financially. Thing is, the amount of the people who are going to take those pay cuts would be so unwilling that the only way to do it would be to have a, a state that has too much power. And then that's when you get stuck in that debate again, where I'm like, I don't want the state to have that much power, but I also want the state to have that much power over these people who are destroying our planet. I don't know how to grapple with these ideas, uh, but, but I just say them out loud just to get people thinking because I've been thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to grapple with a lot of those ideas. I, I will say I think regulation is very important. The biggest things that's missing. Mm -hmm. Oh, like especially in regards to like our previous conversation around climate change and crisis and those problems there, like and consumerism. Like, you know, I, I, I used to kind of resonate more with like anti-capitalist you know ideology and perspective but I've kind of moved away from that and I'm like you know what I don't think just like capitalism in and of itself is the issue I think that's a huge oversimplification mm. I really think the unregulated just like free for all fuckery <laughs> the issue right like that the free-for-all fuckery is what I think needs like the focus to be on and the pressure. And that's part of the reason that, oh, it's just so like, I don't know, you know, having all these different perspectives, just again, to what this entire podcast is going to be about, like this black and white thinking of like capitalism is bad or it's good. It's like, okay, then we can't sit and have you know, conversation yeah yeah how can you have a conversation like, if one person says bad one person says good there's no there's, there's no middle ground there's no middle ground and i think you're yeah. fucking right it's it's i mean because i'm all into the culture and stuff i see it as if you had capitalism the, the idea right free markets within a culture that didn't value profit above all that valued community that valued helping fellow man and fellow brother and fellow sister i don't think it'd be a problem but we live in a culture that tells each one of us to compete to, to win above all to fuck the other guy because if you don't get it he will and he and that's taking place away from you that culture with capitalism that's a fuck that's a that's a mess that's a mess so i really i really hope because i don't i don't pretend to think that we could 
ever change the system. I don't actually believe we can. I, I think the system is too large now, unless you burn it down. But I'm not a fan of that. But I do <laughs> think you can change the culture, and hopefully we can we can we can create nuance and conversation around this to get people to a point where they go, well, I'm still going to build my company and whatever, but I'm going to make sure that my company doesn't like that me and the people who run it aren't so greedy that we, that we take $5 million buyouts, but instead we use that money to create community programs to give back. You know what I mean? There's a way for this system to reinvent itself or rebrand itself in in a culture that's more unified in community and love and in giving. I really believe that if we have these values and we can hopefully instill these values, inspire people, inspire myself. I'm still trying to inspire myself to be this because I'm not this every day. I'm not always concerned with the other. I am self-centered. I am selfish, but it is only in the recognition of that capacity that I can hopefully be better tomorrow and be better now. And, and I, and I, cause I don't believe and nor do I really want to fuck with the system that I don't fully understand. That's the whole point, right? It's so complex. Yeah. We just start beep, beep, pricking away. And this is where I do respect the conservatives. You know, with their, you know, the conservatives understand that, whoa, you don't just, you don't just, just pull away the systems and institutions that have been around for this long. It's right. They didn't just develop over 50 years. They developed over the last thousand, 500, whatever it might be. But what I do think we can change rapidly, quickly, and fast as humans is culture. Because that's just, how we do things in the yeah. system. And that's way more powerful than the system. Yeah, well, and I was gonna say like earlier when you said, you know, it can be like rebranded. Mm-hmm. Like it's already being rebranded, you know? Yeah. Like we have talked a lot about how like adaptable are and how adaptable we have to be in order to keep surviving. and. <laughs> I think that that like that's what's going on with Gen Z and the younger generations, right? Like we are coming in, we're looking at this shit. We're like, this is unsustainable as hell. Like this is not going to work and we're going to fight for different. The issue is, you know, you got all, you got people literally like shitting in diapers running the government. So it's like, dude, these guys are too fucking old. Dude, no term there. Joe Biden, you can't I, even speak. All the rest of you congressmen, you guys are losing your minds. You're, you're too old. Get out of there. I saw I saw a TikTok video. It went super oh, viral. No. But it was this guy. It was that video that's been everywhere of like, what's the, you know, what's a scam that like people that don't was really. the biggest know. scam. Yeah. And this guy's like, the fucking Supreme Court. Like these people could literally be shitting in their diaper and you still have to listen to what they do <laughs> and like kind of you know like mimicking someone he's like but isn't that ages and he's like yes they're old as yeah. well. <laughs> they a rubik's cube they'll be fine they should not be running the fucking government and it's like yes <laughs> right like i don't know i i don't think i personally i do not think it's ageist to have such a reasonable such a reasonable request that we do not have people so far removed from like society you know and what's going on and progress and how things are changing and the way people are coming in like they're so far removed from that it's crazy and y'all are still deciding the rules you know like 
Oh, okay. Sorry. I just, I just got hot there, but yeah. Please get hot, get hot, get angry. I'm happy because I like seeing passion, man, because it's true. It's, there's something like, I I don't know if you ever saw the the Facebook hearings. (coughs) These, these idiots in the, in the court, I don't know the house of commons or it was the Supreme court, I believe. And they're asking Mark Zuckerberg the stupidest questions. Like it just showed a total lack or disconnect between that that strata or that age of people and people of Mark Zuckerberg's age, he's in his like 30s, 40s now. It's like even middle-aged people are far more connected to the current state of culture and society and, and technology. But these yes. guys in the Supreme Court have no understanding. The internet is probably still something they grapple with understanding. <laughs> Me. I grew up on the precipice of the internet. I still struggle. My point is, these guys, this might, they, they're so far removed from it. it. It actually, I actually do think it actually is a, it's a, it's a danger to the, yeah. not to, to our countries. It's very dangerous. Dude, it's literally a threat to democracy. And yes, what's crazy, is. the guy brought up in that video is like, you're not supposed, supposed to work over 65 in America. They deem you as like now you're old as fuck, right? So you should not be working. You're good. You're why why is that not like the same in government? Why are some of our presidents looking like they could fall over anymore? Or they do like this? Or, or sometimes they do upstairs. <laughs> like or I downstairs. do not I just do not. I mean, on a deeper level, like I do comprehend why they do that, but like it's just, it's really, really frustrating. And why on a deeper level? Tell me. You know, because I mean, this is my guess. I'm not like, mm, I have let's hear see. it. Let's hear your guess. Is that a lot? I feel like a lot of government is based in gen, you know, and keeping people in who are going to hold up tradition I think is a very high priority for people in the government particularly old white men right and I'm sure there's so much history on like term limits that I am not educated on that would like really go into this but to me you know kind of very simplified perspective from the outside I just I see it as a way to and keep control and power in a very small subset of hands. I mean, think about if, you know, people came and left government as quickly as I think some of the younger generation would ideally want. Like, I don't know. I, I just think that government is way more rooted in like, I feel like I'm just repeating myself, but just tradition, you know, and like holding, holding up that tradition, which you are going to do if you have a shit ton, you know, 70 to 80 year olds thinking that their way of life should be the way that it is versus if you had a bunch of, you know, 30, 40 year olds fucking AOCs going in and out, like, you know, it's like a a threat to like the the foundations that this country was built on almost is how I see it. I think even that is 
too kind of an analysis. I think it's more like, <laughs> I, I, I th yeah, like I, I think the truth is more like, no, they're, they're making sure that the power is always within the hands of a few. I think the charade of politics, even the left and right division, doesn't matter. The people who are most powerful don't give a shit. And the people at the very top, they don't give a shit. They hang out with the Republicans. They hang out with Democrats. All that's a farce. That, that farce is played in politics because they probably do have differing perspectives, but it doesn't matter to them. The game only affects the average man because the power never, never moves. And they make sure of that. And sure, they give a little bit here and a little bit there, and then oh, you get you get marriage here, and you get that there. But they don't; they have no intention of actually changing the way that the class system works. And I think that they are very, I think they're very mindful of how they divide and conquer. It's one of the oldest rules of governing: is how do you keep your people from turning on the government, right? Because government is literally like. It's like Latin for like mind control or like govern is like control, whatever. I forget, it meant, yeah, it's mind. It's like mind control. The government needs to control the minds of the people. Okay, so how do you do that? Well, you make sure that they never unify against us. Okay, so how do you do that? Well, divide them amongst themselves. And I, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy, conspiracetical notion. It's more like that's just the way that power reproduces itself. It, when, once a system that large is enacted, it just has to make sure that whatever is a potential threat which like that famous quote says, a government of people should not fear their government, a government should fear its people. Well, the government does fear its people. And trust me, they do. So they actively are working to make sure that the people do not realize how corrupt the system is, how much bribery takes place through the law, the, your, your country's lobbying system is just legal bribery. It's disgusting. I'm, it's one of the most disgusting practices in politics. Um, the Supreme Court, which like you said, enables these old groups of people who are traditionally ingrained in power to maintain power and for it to not move because you have to be so old that by the time you get there, you've already, you owe a million people a million favors. You're entrenched in that system. There's no, you know, you, you, there's nobody who gets in there who doesn't already owe a million people, whatever. Or if you want to get conspiratorial about it, who's already done a bunch of dirty shit on Jeffrey Epstein's Island and they have proof. So you're going to do exactly what the guy up top, on top of you says to do. And, the, and, I, and I really, so yeah, I, I think that even when you say, oh, it's just about tradition, that's too kind. That, that's, that's assuming that they're not, most of them, corrupt, self-serving, greedy, uh, power-hungry people. I mean, honestly, Tara, when in your life have you ever thought, when you were thinking about all the jobs, because I'm sure you've thought of a million jobs you wanted to have, did you ever think you wanted to be a politician? No, kind of going yeah. towards that. Um, I did, but not direct politician. Well, you're you're it's okay. You and I are little bits of narcissists. But the point is, they're little bits of narcissists. <laughs> no, I I joke, but it's like it's because who who is driven to become a politician? Who is who in their mind is that's what I want? I want to become. I want to get there. It's it's not the kind of person that you want to run your country. The people who you want to lead are the ones who you who don't want to lead. And yet what we have, unfortunately, in our North America is our leaders are people who are power hungry. That's what they want. That's what all they want. And sure, they get up there and they say they're niceties. You know, they say they're, oh, I'm with your people. I'm with this people. I'm for you. Pro this, pro that, anti this, anti that. I, I, don't, I don't buy half of what they say. 
I think mm-hmm. most of it is they're self-serving. They will flip on a dime. And then and we, and we see that because the moment that their presidency uh, is the presidencies occur, they turn around and they don't enact half the promises that they said they were going to do. And it's really heartbreaking. And that's the yeah. one thing where I will, you know, that's uh, at risk of, you know, getting canceled. I'll go, I didn't like Trump, but he never lied to his constituency. That idiot said a lot of things. And he really tried to do a lot of those things that he said. He said, he said I'm going to build a wall. He tried. He failed miserably. And he said he was going to do this. He, he really, that guy didn't lie about what he said he was going to do. He lied about every single other thing. <laughs> but but my point is, if the career politician has no interest in actually go- doing what they say, they will say anything to get power. And then they'll rationalize why they didn't do what they didn't, like, you know, after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, you keep saying self-serving. A hundred percent agree with that. And like, you know, those people are not there to actually like represent on behalf of their constituents. No. Like, and I, I agree. My tradition statement was too kind, but I was just very like not expecting this kind of political conversation. So my brain was not ready, but I agree with everything that you said. And, um, you know, so, like wanting it to be rooted in tradition, I think is a very light way of saying it but really it's about like you're saying keeping the power and control in a certain subset you know and also important to recognize that like that that you know power hungry drive is rooted in this you know white supremacy like um you know patriarchal kind of system that we exist like you know all you look at the american i mean yeah it started to change and you know recently but like if you look at overall who has had power in the american government and all the different branches overwhelmingly old white men and for the most part that is still who's making all the decisions for us you know and um why would that be a problem <laughs> did you say why would that be a I'm just, I'm just being, uh, I'm being facetious. Oh, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into politics, but I mean, you can, you can obviously tell from my, from my little rant. I'm just, I'm apathetic towards the notion that, <laughs> that voting for someone who's left or right is going to make some huge, meaningful impact on the world. I just don't buy it anymore. I'm, I am. I am with Russell Brand 100% when he says we have to radically reimagine the society and the cultures in which we live in. And that means the political systems. And if, we, if when people say, you can't do that, that's too hard. I say, you lack imagination. And I don't, I don't lack imagination. I have plenty of it. And I can reimagine worlds in which we could do better. Because this is just, it's, it's, it's failing us. It's failing the people. And it's become, it's become corrupted by, by greed. And like I said, I'm not saying throw it all away. I'm just saying we need to reimagine the way we're currently doing it. And at least and at least shift our attention into spaces where we can control more. I don't know. I'm not, again, like I said, I don't want to push a mentality. I don't want people to feel powerless because I do think we have a lot of power. But I think a lot of that power is happens here and now in our everyday actions and the way that we treat our bodies and the way that we treat our minds, our soul, and what we feed each part of ourselves. 
in, in ever, especially in our youth, because then the, that is what will lead to us becoming more actualized people who will be able to move through this world with more power, more weight, and more, more action, you know, and, and in that action, if you move with love, you'll be able to affect more positive change. Then if you were young and became apathetic, defeatist, and just were bitter and resentful, that, that, and, and that, you know, that, that's not a, that's not a catalyst for change. That's a catalyst for perhaps violence or even terrorism or whatever, you know, and you see that. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people who end up becoming those you know, shooters or this, you know, like frankly, like, you know, damaged evil people, it, it always seems to start with resentment. I mean, Frederick Nietzsche in his, in his book, Beyond Morality, Beyond Good and Evil, the genealogy of morality, I think. I am probably said that half wrong. But he, he really, I think he got it spot on, man. He sees resentment as being the poison that leads to most of like a societal society's problems, specifically, you know, like the slave morality, like this kind of like bitterness towards others and this inability to recognize our own divinity, our own capacity for greatness. And then again, these words are always abstracted. Like, what does greatness mean? I'm not being specific here, but I just, I, I, I really want people to recognize their potential. And I think, to be honest, I think most people are scared of that potential. If we were to recognize the potential we held, it, it, it gives you anxiety. I remember the first time I really began to see my potential. You know what happened next? In crippling anxiety. Why? Because now you know what you have not lived up to, your own potential. That's the only thing you can ever strive for. Your ideal is your potential. It's fine. You don't have to go for, you know, not it. Look, if people don't want to actualize it, that's fine. But once you see it, once you wake up to it, that, that bitch is, she's there and she's there for life. So I think she can be an amazing driving force if we're motivated and we feel like we can reach it. You know, so I don't want to be a part or play a role in making people feel like they can't actualize their potential. I think we can. I just, I just see that there are some clear limitations and faults within the current systems we live in that will work against us enacting the kind of change outside of ourselves that we'd also like to see. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm glad that you acknowledged like the limitations because of course, I, I think, you know, when you're talking about people like recognizing and actualizing and fulfilling their own potential, like that, you know, some people just don't want to do it. I think there are so many people that are just too fucking tired. Mm the system that we live in and trying to survive in it you know these people that are in like survival mode even though Absolutely. we're in a wealthy country you know like when you're so fucking run down be exhausted distracted busy like you don't even have the time to think about this kind of stuff. Yeah, and that goes into the whole, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and please let's whatnot. go into it. I don't know. I don't think everybody knows. Oh, okay. Well, I think then we to first mention that it's kind of a Western take on Eastern ideas, you know, like oh, you a lot know of that, yeah, about chakras it, and stuff. Yeah, like it, it's essentially just a, you know, modern. It's, a it's just a different lens. Whitewash, slightly version of it, <laughs> the wig. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that like first and foremost we need to acknowledge that um but you know 
it starts the very bottom most basic is about your need for survival and safety and unless your need for survival and safety are being met you cannot you know keep going up this like hierarchy of needs and um i'm just gonna google it real quick so i don't fuck this up as no, I it's, good. It. It's, it's good to be specific yeah i want to it's like sure. sec- it's like security and survival and then like the uh, next i think is like shelter like needs and then it's like food or, i'm not sure if that was connected but then yeah then you get to like social and then you get to like personal development and then at the top is actualization but i think he even said like the actually the top of it is kind of most people will never become fully actualized it's the ideal you strive for but yeah Maslow's hierarchy of needs i mean like you said it's based very similar to like the the yoga the chakra the chakra system and in that they talk about how our first chakra is you know it's at the bottom of the seven chakras and it's all to do with survival and it develops in the very like first stages of your life and in that same sense it's concerned with your ability to survive so what Tara was saying earlier it's like if you're what you're saying earlier is if you're someone who you're overly focused because you're or you're overly anxious and stressed out about the ability to survive aka with paying your rent getting food on the sh- uh, on the table for your kids or for yourself and how the fuck or why the fuck would you give a shit about your your spirit and and how why would you care I, i'm yeah. just trying to survive and i so i get that I, I really i really fully do there's no there's no denying it but i hope Doesn't- i I'd like to imagine anyone who can, who will ever watch this video. I go, you're probably not on that level. You're probably not. Yeah. Maybe you are, but I, I, I don't think you're there. But for to the people who are on that level, I'm, I have extreme compassion and empathy towards them. You know, because they don't even get a chance. They didn't even get a chance. So for them, that's when I go. We really need to create a better social system that protects people at that level. Well, and that's why you know one of those quotes, and I was thinking about this earlier brought up like you know climate change and crisis and how that you know affects the poorer countries way worse than richer ones and um just idea of like um you know i think that aside uh, i can't remember where this quote is from but it's essentially like a society can be kind of measured by how it treats its most vulnerable populations right mm. like that how you can gauge like a quote successful or right like look at fucking Scandinavia compared to the U.S. and like people are going to say the U.S. is the best country in the world which there's no best country in the world but like you know people are going to say that and it's like nuance (laughs) I love that you just said that thank you thank you but there is no best country dude that's what I remember I posted once on Instagram and you know said you know, I was, I was in my like talking shit about America era, just like going yeah. off and fuck America. <laughs> which, I'm trying to take a more like balanced, grounded perspective now, but commented and was like, you're just gonna, you know, go off to another country and then like, you're gonna find all the things wrong with it there and realize that like you fucked up by leaving the best country. And I'm like, you know what? If I went to another country and found all the things wrong with it, like, you know, I would equally understand, I understand that there is good and bad 
everywhere. There, every single nation, every single fucking community has its own good and bad, right? Oh, yeah. I'm not leaving, like trying to leave America bad, right? And like go to some fucking utopia. Utopia doesn't exist on earth. We know that. You know what I mean? It's like, I would, I have been so like kind of hell bent on wanting to experience life and culture outside of the US because I want to experience a different way of life that I feel is more aligned with my value system, not because I think it's going to be some utopia, right? It's like these people are, it's like good, bad. And it's like, no, like things, you know, things are both and they're everything in between. And we need to like be able to exist there to have like rational conversations around the stuff. Wow. Dare I say you're finding nuance in yeah. the subject of whether or not America is the best country. I think America is an amazing country. I love, I love the United States. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I think politically it's a, a shit show. <laughs> and I, a mess. But I love the United but, States just as I love England, just as I love Canada, as I love Colombia, as I love Mexico, as I love most of the countries that I've been to. And I've, like, I loved all of them. But they all got their problems. They all do. Like, I'm, not, I'm not negligent. I'm definitely not, but I am biased. I like Canada. Although recently I'm not liking Canada so much, but I grew up in Canada. So I just like, for me, I'm just like, oh yeah, I have total bias. My bias is that's where my family is. My friends are. And it's, it's, that's why I love it. You're living the American dream. Fucking Canadian universal healthcare. Like, <laughs> and, it, so and, many- it's, and it's a Canadian dream. I'm living the American. I'm an immigrant. You know, my family came here for a better life to, Hopefully, you know, get away from all the danger in Colombia. And it was the best place, you know, a place where a 15-year-old rambunctious kid like myself could be getting home a little bit too drunk at 1.30 in the morning, not fearing at all for his life and feeling totally comfortable walking downtown. It's, it's, a, it's a level of safety and shelteredness that is unparalleled anywhere else in the world. It really is, like especially Vancouver, where I grew up. And, and I'm thankful for it because it allowed me to feel very safe. And that safety is not to be underscored because when I've been to other countries like Colombia, even in my later years, that looming sense of danger is quite anxiety inducing. And I, I can only imagine what that does when that's pers- persistent and prevalent throughout your entire life. Like my parents, and I mean, now I know what it does. I mean, I made my parents hyper you know, like, to be honest, a little crazy in the way that they, like, raised me, like, in terms of they were always, like, tracking me and needing to know where I was. I know it was just for my safety, but it was overbearing, 100%. But I get it now. It's like, oh, yeah, they grew up in a time when bombs were going off daily in their country. Some dude who sold cocaine was blowing up planes. He was a narco-terrorist, and he had, and he had billions of dollars. It's in, where every politician was bought out, where cops were all crooked. Yeah, they were living in, like, the the craziest place at the crazy time. So I, 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 am, I hope and I hope that other people can be sheltered for a little bit of their life because I think it does wonders. Whereas on the flip side, I see that not being sheltered, you know, being overexposed to violence and danger when you're growing up is, you know, creates a huge sense of distrust and paranoia, kind of over-controlling and overbearingness. Okay. I got a question to pose then. Yeah. To add some complexity here. So, you know, like you were saying, you 
like that sense of like shelteredness and safety you know? not in information safety. or education okay. okay so yeah do you feel like the the shelteredness that for the most part people experienced in North America compared to a lot of other countries around the world is kind of part of our problem like part of our issues more so in being a culture of people who like kind of are not great at like taking socio-political action you know and like we Americans kind of suck at protesting we don't know how to do it in an effective way like which is largely yeah. because we're not we were never taught like we're we taught very kind of watered down versions of what the showman yes <laughs> and so it's um i guess you know i have personally thought this a little bit like i'm not set in stone in this opinion but i i think that america's you know, overall, not saying this is everyone's experience, but that like shelteredness and how like protected we have been from, you know, different kind violence. of violence. Yeah. And threats that other countries, other, other people in other countries face on a more regular basis. Like that's part of the reason that we're so apathetic and we just sit there and we just scroll. We're like, damn, damn, damn. You know, like I almost, this might sound really, really fucked up. I don't know but like I almost feel like America or like North America like needs to go through some real like collective trauma to really wake up to like we need to do something you know other than sit on our phones and yell at other people saying we need to do something like exactly what we're doing right now you know super hypocritical but like I, you know, I feel like because we're so sheltered, we just don't, you know, we don't know how to be scrappy. We don't know how to fight it. Like, we don't know how to actually, uh, all I see from everybody online is like, but how, but how, but how, how? Because we have no fucking, I brought up in fucking suburbs with iPhones for the most part. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I guess I feel like scrappy is like a good word. Like we don't have that like scrappiness of like, we're going to fight for this shit no matter what, right? We're going to go on strike for fucking weeks on end. We're going to, you know, consumerism plays a big role. It's like, okay, let's, fucking, you know, not buy from these businesses for like three days of the year to show them. It's like, you know, fucking half the country isn't listening to that because they don't care. They want their Amazon Prime. Like because we've been brought up in this way. Shout out Jeff Bezos. Yeah, right. I feel like it just creates this uh, real challenge in the culture. And like, to be honest, I think that Gen Z and younger generations are doing a good job at changing this a little bit. Like I said, kind of adapting and like, you know, I see fucking 21 year olds that have like, you know, foundations of like empowering youth to do whatever xyz like you know things where it's like us this like weird like 20 to like you know 40 range of like older gen z's and millennials i feel like we're all just like yeah well i think i i don't know if i i wouldn't i wouldn't diagnose the problem as the shelter of safety i, I actually think it's that's a good thing i think it's the it was the over, the over, 
being overexposed to so much information through the digital landscape while not being exposed to any of that stuff in our own lives and then being always taught growing up that everything was okay so then by the time that like we became culturally sensitive or aware that there was problems we were apathetic towards it because we're like well aren't there bigger problems everywhere else on the planet earth and it kind of feels like like we didn't know where to put our attention so i think it was more of a distraction and entertainment i think that most most people within that age are so heavily like those are people who like you know like who grew up with like marvel and all this like harry potters and, and they're like you know people whose whole personality can be defined around their favorite entertainment trilogy to me i see it more as a, as a problem of distraction entertainment i always go back to that but lovely quote from the movie uh, gladiator are you not entertained it's like, that's what i see the problem as i think that created more apathy i don't necessarily think that living in a safe community creates apathy towards issues i that's not what i think it is i think it's more like you you're so removed from danger and then all the danger you see is you're overexposed to it but on the internet so at some point or another, it doesn't even really feel real because you don't see it, right? So in that sense, yeah, the shelteredness is playing a role. But I, I don't know. At the same time, I have a exactly. very weird, I have I'm a sorry, weird I'm, upbringing. I'm, no, go ahead. Exactly what you're describing is like how my brain is seeing shelteredness. Like this, okay, like, okay, okay. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not saying like, like it's like we didn't have violence everywhere and that's <laughs> No, 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 I okay. more so the sense of like, because of the safe community and, you know, because of the way we're brought up mm. that we've been exposed to is yeah. not shit seen and experienced in our real life physical yeah. realm. And like, that is more so the sense of shelteredness that my brain. Oh, absolutely. Thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're entrenched in, uh, in every, every everything we're entrenched with them with like our cultural myths and narratives are just tv and movie and film and media which are, and those narratives are easily controlled and shaped by whomever you know pushes that stuff and it's unfortunate because it makes people apathetic um i know because i <clears throat> i wrote a piece actually on apathy when i was 18 when i was like you know like i said when i was beginning to go through all this stuff mm -hmm. actually i'm gonna I think it's a, it's fun to talk about. Okay. Let me see if I can find it. Cause I really liked it. I mean, I, th I mean, okay. It's not even that good, but I think essentially what I talked about was the fact that I think we, we have too many options. Wait, 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 let me see an apathetic, the apathetic generation. I called it, I kind of skimmed through it, but. Said I was watching the recent Dave Chappelle special, a brilliant piece of comedy from a comeback star, when he said something about how he feels bad for the new generation of millennials, the apathetic generation, he said. People his age grew up in North America, plagued by the Cold War, fear, and tied together with nationalistic ideas of patriotism. He refers to the unforgettable American tragedy when the space shuttle Challenger exploded on live television and everyone on board was presumed dead. Everyone in his school was sent home to grieve with their families. His generation, he says, was born to care. Our generation, on the other hand, the apathetic generation, can't care because there's too much fucking shit to care about. Jesus, every 10th notification on our phones is a school shooting or a police shooting or gang shooting or a terrorist shooting or hell, even an ISIS bombing here and there. 
We live in an interconnected planet of over 7 billion humans, almost half of which are connected to the World Wide Web, a digital interface of unlimited information with news organizations reporting events from Timbuktu to Tokyo. The internet is unbelievable. I've imagined trying to explain the internet and its capacities to a human from the Middle Ages. Shit, even a human from the turn of the 20th century. It would be fucking impossible. And you would sound high as fuck on drugs. Trust me, I've acted it out a lot. The point is, the amount of information regarding bad news surpasses any other generation before us ten by tenfolds, and it is messing with our brains. I cried about Paris. I even cried about Orlando. But man, I gotta be honest, I didn't even read the article with the most recent shooting out of California. It's too much, really. The drama over the past 10 years, paired with our ability to have it all live streamed front and center, is saturating our hearts. It's emotionally straining. No wonder we have so much passion in our generation, as well as energy, but if you ask me, I think some of it is misplaced. We become hung up over semantic issues as opposed to life impending issues like climate change. We bicker over political party differences, but we don't discuss the very political system is broken and how to change it. We take to the streets in protest without any real idea of what we want to, or we just stay at home and feel grateful to live where we do and ignore everyone else. We become content with a steady and unbothered life because damn, might as well feel grounded when the world appears to be coming apart. I'm not saying these problems aren't real or that we might want to reconsider gun laws, but for the most part, global issues that are presented as impending doom 24-7 from the fear-mongering media are just kind of distracting. Most of us have probably tuned out entirely, and thus we have become the apathetic generation. Too much shit to care about that we don't care at all. I'm right here with you, and it's too bad because there are issues like climate change, which every credible professional will tell you is probably going to lead to catastrophic events if we don't drastically change the way we consume. But there's just too much to pick from. Have you ever been to a restaurant with a ridiculous amount of options? It's stressful, and you rarely feel happy with your choice, simply because there's too many damn options. I think that's how a lot of us feel. We're bombarded with issues and problems of the world, and we're told to choose, and I think we're just like, fuck it. I'd rather not. I think a, that's a healthy response in a sick world. Otherwise, we'd be a generation of catatonic mental patients screaming about the end of the world. You know, that's why nobody likes Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not here to tell people what to care about or what not to. I'm just here to talk about the apathetic nature growing in myself and others from our time. I find that focusing on myself and my personal growth within the little world I live in is the most impactful thing I can do. I believe that true change comes from individuals changing themselves and triggering a butterfly effect of positive conscious change. And as great as the apathetic generation is, I'd rather be a part of the generation of individuals who change the world by example and initiative. That's what I wrote. <laughs> but I think that's it. This is a great little, I'm happy that this came up, but that's, I think, what happened to us. Why did we stop caring? Well, there's too much shit to care about. And then we yeah. just became distracted and comfortable. And what's the point in caring? Yeah. And like, boom, bang, right back to our mismatch theory, right? Like, we literally are not built for this. We are not built to consume so much information on these tiny little screens. Twenty-four. Like, we weren't, we weren't designed as a species to be globalized in the way that we are and interconnected in the digital like I think it's 
man, I wish, oh, dude, I wish I could just like fucking zoom out and like watch the next like a thousand years. If we make uh, it I want, that's my biggest, biggest regret uh. in my life. It's not my, my life. I'm not going to have most many regrets because I'm very dead. You know, I like myself and how I'm doing it. <laughs> but my biggest regret is that I can't see what the fuck happens after. I want to know. I just, I just, I really mm. hope that somewhere in that like process of my soul leaving and transforming into whatever, I just can be like, please show me, please show me. You can let me see, let me see, let me see. Like just like whatever is like whatever entities are there. If there are any, just let me see because I'm so curious. I am so so curious. Hell, who yeah. knows? Maybe tomorrow, and somebody just presses the red button and then saw. Okay, in that regard, uh, my phone's gonna die. So uh, thanks for jumping on this call with me, Tara. I fucking love talking with you. Yeah, I love talking with you. I think we had some great combo, and uh, I'm excited to see what you come up with. Yeah, let's do this again sometime, huh? Yes, we'll definitely do it again. All right, you have great. a good night. Wait, wait, wait. Boom. <laughs>